<laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about faith today, and we're going to talk about what it is, what it isn't, um, and how we can walk in it, and how we can protect ourselves from our faith eroding, especially in the culture that we see around us. Um, I don't think faith has ever been as under attack as it is um, among people that we thought were, were faithful, you know these different leaders that we see falling away, and we're like, I thought you were, why aren't you faithful, you know? Book of Proverbs talks about, you know, you know, men declare all these great things about how good they are, but a faithful man, who can find? Um, worship is a response to who God is. Faith is a response to what God says. And we're gonna talk about that, that by faith we go, by faith we live, and by faith we receive. And we'll see those three themes intertwined with faith. He called Abram to go out. He calls us to live by faith. And everything we receive is by faith. Um, Father, we just come before you and thank you for your word that is living and active. You say it's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it divides between soul and spirit. It divides between our own thoughts and your thoughts, God. That it convicts, that it rebukes, that it encourages, it builds up. Lord, and so thank you for your word. I, I pray that as I've gone through this study, preaching it to myself, God, that, that you would then take it and re-speak it, God, in the unique ways that you do that, Lord. And so we just trust you and come to you today. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're gonna, um, in the spirit of how Peter started his letters, he said, stir you up by way of reminder. Some of you know these things, but they need to be stirred up. And Peter was somebody very familiar with stumbling. I don't know how much you remember about Peter, but he, uh, he knew what it was to fail and to look on the Lord after the Lord told him. He said, Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that after you've been restored, go strengthen your brethren. He saw what Peter was going to go through. Peter went through all of that. And it was after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell that he stepped out in faith and spoke and the rest is history. And he's the one that wrote some of these things we're gonna see about, he gives such what seem like unobtainable promises because he says if these qualities are yours, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Those are the two areas where you may have been walking with the Lord a long time. The enemy wants you to be ineffective and unfruitful. We can be doing a lot of things right and still not be doing these two things. And those are the things like in my own heart. I've been around the church and serving the Lord for a long time. But have I been effective and fruitful in, in the ways that he's asking me to, not just the ways I think I need to? And those are a very different way of looking at it. If the Lord's asked you to do something and you're not doing it, he'll keep asking you until you do. <laughs> Might take years, I hope not. <laughs> um, but he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And we're gonna talk about how that can be true. If we have everything we need, why isn't everything going right? We're gonna talk about that. Um, it, it says in Romans twelve three that he's given everybody a measure of faith. And so little, small, big, doesn't matter. He's given, given you a measure and that our faith would rest on the power of God, not man's wisdom. And that we look at the things that are unseen. 
Go to the next slide, please. Faith is trust and reliance, not mental agreement with a set of facts. And this is kind of where we start to see that trusting who someone is is a lot different when we, I think it was Isaac, is it Elsner? He was here a few weeks ago, and he talked about the wheelbarrow, and the guy was showing off and doing all these tricks with the wheelbarrow, and he's like, who will get in? And nobody signed up. <laughs> that's, that's faith, right? Faith is the trust to get in to, to what God has for you. Amen. And trusting who he is, and that's where you see the difference between somebody who's just agreed to something or somebody who's trusting a person, trusting who he is. Um, and so that's why it's a response to, to who he is and what he says um, and believing God over our own feelings and circumstances. The very first thing that gets in there with faith is doubt. And that was the first thing that the enemy did after uh, he gave his commands to Adam and Eve. The serpent said, has God really said? And so that's where we can really get off track if we let those doubts linger and we don't go to the word of God um, that's what he'll use to kind of start to unravel things um, and then next slide faith is a walk we're going to talk about this for a minute 2 Corinthians 5 7 for we walk by faith not by sight and we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's so many different places where the Bible uses this thing of walk, and I really started to meditate on this because it seems really simple. Um, But then I, I started thinking back. I'm like, he walked in the garden with Adam in the cool of the day. Says that Enoch walked with God. Like, so from the very beginning, there was this idea of walking, and then you start thinking about walking, and it has to do with motion and moving somewhere. It has to do with staying in step and being together. If you go for a walk with somebody and start running off, they're going to be like, hey, I thought we were going for a walk. <laughs> you know, or you, have you ever tried to walk a dog that doesn't want to be walked? <laughs> and it's walking you, and you're like, ah! <laughs> That's not a very pleasant walk, is it, right? And so... <laughs> And there's, there's even a place in the word where it says don't be like, like the horse or the mule, you know, where they have to either be dragged or be driven. God doesn't want your walk to be like that. It, it's about intimacy and walking with him. So in Galatians 5.23, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And that's where this idea of walking is, keeping in step, being close enough to hear him and to hear his voice and to not be taking off on our own. One of the things we'll see if you really, I encourage you to go back after this and look up, just do a Bible search with the word walk, and you'll see hundreds of places it's used. I'll give just a few, I'm not even gonna give you all the references, but just some of these phrases. It says, you were dead in trespasses and, and sins in which you once walked. It refers to your old life as things you walked in. It says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It says, walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It says, to look carefully how you walk. Walk as, not as unwise, but as wise. It says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And how did we receive him? Got this backwards. They were trying to 
in their own works try to finish what he started. He's like, that's not how it works. It's, you keep going the same way you started, by faith. Um, it says, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So it refers to walking in darkness as a, a way of life that brings us out of fellowship. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It says, whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So there's just, all over the word is this idea of walking. And that's my main thing I wanted you to see was all of these different places where faith is a walk. And one of the things that the enemy will go after is to just get you to stop moving and to just sit down. He doesn't want you moving forward. And so the different areas of your faith that are under attack are, are going to be this whole thing of being ineffective and unfruitful by just stop moving. Um, and that's, that's where it's like he wants to restore those things that are keeping you from moving. Um, in Hebrews 12, um, there's this idea, therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. So he wants to put those things back together so you can keep moving, keep walking. Next, please. Faith is our defense. Ephesians 6.16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That's a pretty big promise. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So that's the other part of continuing in the faith and taking up the shield of faith so that you can be stable and steadfast. The temptation today is to shift from that, right? You see different people compromising from the faith and allowing for all kinds of different things because they don't know the word. They're not continuing in the faith. Um, the, one, the one thing in the armor of God from uh, Ephesians 6, the only thing defensive in there was the shield. And back then it was this idea of a Roman soldier. Their shield would like cover head to toe and kind of curve like this, right? So... And, and they would do this formation where they all had their shield, thinking they would, and they would all hold their shields around each other. That's a pretty amazing picture if you start thinking of the church as a body with our faith, being able to shield ourselves from the enemy's attacks. Um, and sometimes you gotta shield someone else. You know, see the soldier next to you drop his shield, he's in trouble, right? And, and sometimes you have to step in and pick him up. Um... It's referred to in 1 Thessalonians 5.8 as the breastplate of faith and love. Another defensive covering, right, over the, over the heart without which, you know, any of God through faith. And so everything in this whole thing of defense is all operating as we look to him in faith. Um, stable and steadfast. It says in Colossians 2.7, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he wants us to be established in faith 
as our defense, as we walk, as we move forward. He's the one shielding us as we look to him. Amen. Next, please. Faith works through love, and we're going to spend a lot of time about this concept because this is what really opened it up for me to see that what's the point of all this, <laughs> right? Especially for us as uh, I'm here every week doing something ministry-related. How do I keep myself from just going through the motions, right? How do we, what's this all for? Why are we even coming to church? I don't know if you ever asked yourself that, but it's important to ask that question. Why am I doing this? This is it right here. Love is this goal that we're working towards, that faith works through love, and we'll see all the pieces to this, and we can do so many things, and if we're not doing this, we're missing it. That's what we'll find out through this whole process, is if love isn't the result, we need to go back and say, where did I miss it? Right? Because if it's not producing love, that's how we know that there's a root back there somewhere that the Lord needs to take care of. Right? You've met Christians who are unloving, You've met people who are judging. It's like, how did that happen? How did they get around all this stuff with Jesus and then hate everybody? Right? It's just, it's crazy, isn't it? Right? But that's because the faith isn't working through love. And that's what we'll see God is really after in us. Um, It says in Galatians 5, 6, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Now, us as Americans, we don't understand the gravity of that statement to a group of former Jews. This was huge, because circumcision to them was everything. It was a a mark of the covenant. It was given by God. It was given to Abraham. It was all these things. So they had these false teachers going around saying, you need to be circumcised or you're not really saved. Jesus is not enough. Now, we don't hear it presented to us this way, but we have, you need to add this other thing. You need to... Join this club. You need to buy this special prayer towel from Israel or whatever thing it is, right? You've seen, these, you've seen those advertisements. I, I, you can look at any cult in any group and if they're just trying to add something to Jesus or say, well, he wasn't really God or whatever thing. And so when you see this thing of circumcision or uncircumcision counts for, doesn't count for anything, but what does count? Faith working through love. Amen. That's what counts. First Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love. And this is where it gets really convicting. That issues from three places, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Those three things are kind of what hold all of this together. And I... It, in your time with the Holy Spirit as you're praying in the morning, just begin to ask him, which of these three things do I need to give attention to? Um, Because he's the only one that can fix these areas. And what you'll find is if you've compromised in any of these three areas, it will hold up faith working through love. Because it has to flow from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Um. And this all happens through the Holy Spirit because in Romans 5, 5, it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That's kind of the entrance into his love, right? Um, And Ephesians 5, 2, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So that's the operation. Holy Spirit gets started by your faith. You've received him. Now he's gonna start putting you in a direction. 
and you're going to have, I don't know if you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress, but he's making a journey and these different things come along trying to get him off the road. Some, you know, he gets distracted over here, distracted over there, and the Holy Spirit's there to keep you moving forward. Next slide, please. This is a visual of faith working through love. So Paul's the one who said faith works through love. And leave it to the Holy Spirit to tell Peter how it works. This is really kind of interesting. So he has, and we'll look at the next verse that actually has all of these different virtues ending up in love. So it's like, here's your start, and love is the goal. Here's how we get there, and this is how you'll be able to know where you're at with the Holy Spirit. Like, which of these things do I need to work on? And that's going to be the process. Um, And interestingly enough, so we have Paul said love that issues from a pure heart. And we have Peter who said love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So they both saw this truth by the Holy Spirit that that's where this love issues from. Um, And how do we get there? That's what we're going to we're going to talk about that. So here's the actual verse. Next slide. Second Peter 1, 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And I'm not going to read the whole thing again. But basically, that whole process I just showed you ends with love. And he, this word that he uses is a strong word, make every effort. It's going to require some work. That's, that's kind of the tricky balance here, isn't it? God's given us everything, but it doesn't mean we do nothing. Right? It, it's really similar to, say you have a building project, and say, imagine that there was no budget, no limitation on the materials you could use, but you don't actually build anything. And someone's like, well, I gave you all this stuff. I, you had access to everything. And you're like, oh, I didn't really believe it was possible or whatever thing, right? That's kind of how it is with him. Um, faith and virtue next so this is the first thing that Peter talks about after you've made that entrance into faith it's like what do I do now do, you know do I just follow a bunch of rules you'll as you grow in the Lord you'll realize the world would tell you that's what religion is you know you just try to do your best and you know well you know God will just I just hope he outweighs my good and bad and, and we don't actually look to him in faith. But after we've done that, he's going to start convicting you. And I can't tell you what that's going to be about. Right. <laughs> Pastor's talked about not buying root beer because he doesn't want to give, give a bad testimony with, with alcohol. That's not something that is in here that somebody else is telling him. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, do this thing. He'll ask you to do things like that in obedience as you start stepping out in faith that, we're, that are going to start building you up in virtue. Um, and so, but that comes from a place where he's already given it to you. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things, not some things, all things, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And that's an important little caveat. It's through the knowledge of him. It's not through our own efforts who called us to his own glory and excellence. That word there, excellence, is the same word for virtue in the Greek. It's this word arete, and it has to do with moral excellence um, and, just, and goodness is kind of the connecting thought there. 
that you may proclaim the excellencies or the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's where faith begins. It's, it's calling you out of darkness. It says he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. He's taken you out of that darkness and now he wants you to walk. First thing he did, anybody know what Abraham was called to do? To leave that land he was from and go to a new place out of a land of idol worship. So God's, even the word for church, for assembly, is called out ones. That's you. He's called you out and now you're in this assembly and he has stuff for you to do. Right, And he's uniquely fitted all of you for these things. And so if you've stepped out in faith, he wants you to start adding virtue to that so that you're not ineffective and unfruitful. And if you haven't made the step of faith, he wants you to make that first step. And he'll start this whole process. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will just get to work if you'll do that first step or whatever step you're on. Um, okay, <laughs> next, next thing here. Virtue and knowledge. So you've made the step of faith. You're starting to make changes to how God's asking you to live, things in your walk, in your life. And now he wants you to grow in knowledge. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if he wants us to grow in knowledge, it's a very specific kind of knowledge. It's not a prideful, I know things in my own self kind of knowledge. It's knowing him. Amen. It says, talks about, let him who boasts in the Lord boast that he knows me. And so it's knowing more about him, knowing more about his love, but where do we know that from? It's gotta be the word. Yeah. Right, and so it says, always being prepared to make a defense in First Peter 3. If there's ever a time that we need to be able to defend the word, it's today. Right, You've got people t attacking every single pillar that we believe in as, as Christians. Yeah. Whether it's sexuality, whether it's abortion, every single thing. You need to be able to go to the word and give a defense. Yeah. And you can't do that if you don't pick it up. Um, and this idea of anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's something to be asking yourself is, what is the reason for my hope? And if I don't know, I should be asking the Lord to help me be able to explain it to somebody. Um, you're vulnerable to being led astray without knowing God's word. And you won't be able to move into greater areas of responsibility without this step. And that's one of the things I want to talk about in this whole thing is that the salvation and the grace and all of the things that start your Christian walk completely paid for. You don't have to do anything. But now that you've taken that step, God wants to use you to damage the enemy's plans. Amen. Right? Think of a soldier. He starts being trained. He starts submitting to things he doesn't like to do. You don't like getting up early. You don't like cleaning your weapons and all these things in the mud and all the whatever things come with it, Right? but you're being prepared for something and the soldiers who don't submit to that have to be benched and left behind because you don't want them on your left and right if they're not prepared, yeah. right? And so it's about him using you for his own purposes. It's not about you trying to earn affection. He already loves you. Yes. He's already given you all you need and he wants you to be effective, right? He wants to build you up and 
take those things out of your life that are weighing you down, keeping you from serving. And so the, the thing too about this prepared to make a defense is he connects that to the heart as well. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Then he says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. And he even says to do it with gentleness and respect. So that's where all of this stuff really does connect back to the heart with our, as we grow in faith and grow in our knowledge. Now, next slide, please. And this, this one is a really, I've seen so much damage, even in my own life, where when I was younger, did not have these two paired together. <laughs> Once you have some knowledge, now you need some self-control. Okay? <laughs> Some of us go around this mountain for a lot of years before the Lord lets us move forward. Um, Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. When this was written, a city wall was really, really important. We don't quite understand it today. But it was their only defense. Right? And it left them completely vulnerable if the walls were broken down. And we see a picture of this where, you know, one of the first things when God was restoring Jerusalem, they had to go back and rebuild the walls. And so that's what's lack of self-control. I've seen it in my own life. It creates this hole in your defenses that lets all kinds of things you don't want into your life. And it's also this place of where when the Lord's bringing you to greater responsibility, he's going to test you in this. He's going to see if you have self-control. And it'll, it'll be in ways that you're not really, um, you don't realize the weight of them when they're so small, right? Because you're just doing these little things and you're like, do these things even matter? You know, they're just little things. And God's looking at your faithfulness. And so if you think of this as like a faithful employee in today's language, right? I don't know if you've ever had to train somebody, but I've had to train a lot of people. And you can see the ones that are getting it and doing what you say when you're not looking. And it makes you feel really, really proud of them. You're like, oh, look at that. They did this whole project, and I just gave them a little bit of direction. And then you see the ones that cut corners, and you're like, oh, I wish they would just do the simple stuff, right? Um, and it has to do with you want them to be able to be responsible, right? You want to give them a project, walk over here, do your thing, and come back and check on it and be like, oh, wow, they did this whole thing. So imagine your spiritual life. God wants to give you an assignment, and he wants to be able to give it to you and trust you with it and know that you're going to guard it and keep it. And so that's the difference between this whole thing of trying to work for approval and no, it's God giving you more responsibility and growing you in your knowledge and self-control so that you can be more effective for him. Um, we see that all of this, don't forget that it still operates with grace. Okay, God's not asking you to be perfect. <laughs> We, we've seen enough testimonies of, the, of all of these different people who just kept going. And they, it's not that they had everything figured out. And we see uh, in Titus 2.11, it says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's not very popular to talk about grace training us in that way. But that's, if God's grace has appeared to you, that's what he'll start doing in you. He'll start training you. 
First Peter 4, 7 warns, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, if you ignore these two areas, it will shortcut your prayers. You won't even feel like praying, right? Because you need the Lord to go back to that place of where you haven't listened and repent. And then, you know, you'll be amazed at how that weight will lift. He'll start giving you prayers to pray. Um, With pride, we can use knowledge as a weapon, right? Have you ever met anybody who knows a lot of things, but they're not very nice with it? It's not very pleasant to be around, right? (laughs) And it just tears people down, right? And that's where we need the Holy Spirit in there to give you some control once you have some knowledge so that you're not just running around hurting people. (laughs) And um, and that's that's the balance there where once you've grown in some knowledge, now let's put some self-control in there. Next slide. So, you've made it a long ways. You're starting to say no to sin. You've got some self-control. Now you just have to keep doing it. <laughs> just keep going, okay? Just As for you, O oh man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. This word steadfastness, we don't see that very much today, do we? Capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Endurance, being able to endure. So that's a Holy Spirit capacity to keep going. You'll talk to somebody, how come you didn't quit? How come you didn't give up? Like, I don't know, actually. <laughs> In my flesh, I really wanted to. You know, and you just kind of feel the hand of the Lord coming underneath you and just holding you there. And, and that promise of a way of escape from temptation, a lot of people know that verse, you know, says that he'll give you a way of escape. But the rest of the verse says that you may be able to bear up under it. So in other words, he doesn't just remove you from it. He empowers you in it. Right? And so we see this testimony said about Abraham and this idea of steadfastness. It says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. Now here's an important phrase. As he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Maybe you're not fully convinced God's gonna do what he said. Right, maybe you've had things happen and you're like, will he really do this for me? Or you look at how the circumstance is going and you've decided he's not gonna do this. Right, that's where the enemy can really get in and keep you from going and you just stop trying because... You've decided God's not gonna do what he said. And that, that's the quality that Abraham had. We know it wasn't that he didn't mess up, right? How well did he do with his plans with Agar? Trying to fulfill God's promise with his own efforts, right? And so it's not that he did everything right all the time. It's that no matter what happened, he just kept believing God. And he said, okay, God, at, at a certain point, He just decided that God's going to fulfill this promise. But you can forget as you're reading it how many years were in between that fulfillment. Some of those promise fulfillments were 25 years. Has anybody struggled with something for 25 years yet? (laughs) 
feels like a long time when we're struggling, right? Six months can feel like years. When I, about 2010 or so, I went through a really rough time. And that, that time in my life feels so long. Like years of my life were just in these months that I thought it was never going to end. And that's the other thing, too, is that the enemy will lie to you and tell you you're the only one going through this. It's never going to get better. It's never going to end. That's not true. God is faithful. And he sees the end result that you haven't seen. The enemy wants you to look at yourself, right, and look at your own circumstance. And what did we sing today? I will do what? I will look up, right? Don't look down, look up. It's so simple, but it's really difficult when, when we're surrounded by circumstances. Steadfastness leads to, next slide, to godliness. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. We could just stop there and preach a whole thing. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So that's what's really cool in God's training program. (laughs) It'll help you now and later. (laughs) Um, And we don't like the word training. Is that a fun word for anybody? (laughs) It means... It's not always pleasant. It means it's a process. It means it doesn't feel good. But we're being trained for something, for a purpose. Um, He says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that's part of, just remember, it's not just your own efforts because you did so good, now you're godly. It's because you allowed yourself to be trained by the Holy Spirit through his divine power that was given to you at the beginning of the whole thing, right? And that's what's empowering this whole process is that each step of the way, you're going, okay, Lord, now what? Each step, you're you're looking up to him um, as you endure. I'm gonna read a quote before I go to my next point. And... uh, for those of you that have been married, you'll understand this, this the most. But imagine, if you will, this bride is getting ready to come down the aisle, but she's not looking at the bridegroom. Imagine that she's looking at her dress, and she's just really concerned with how she looks. And she goes down, and she doesn't even look up at him. Would that, what would you think about that? Would well, that be terrible, wouldn't it? Right? Isn't there supposed to be like this joy of looking to the bridegroom? There was an old hymn written called The Sands of Time Are Sinking. And in this last verse, it says, The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. In this whole process, it's his beauty, it's his face, it's his approval that we're looking to as we're going along the process. It's not being driven by guilt and fear and you need to do this and you need to do that. It's looking ahead to him, the the one who died for you, the one who paid for this whole thing to even be possible. 
He's the one at the end of the road here looking for you to make it so that he can say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's what he wants to make you into is good and faithful. Those two things encompass everything I've said. All of this stuff about enduring and being godly and doing these things are so that you can be that man or woman who he can say, good, good and faithful servant. Yeah. Next slide. We have godliness and brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I asked first service, what would our lives be like if we tried to outdo one another in showing honor? Instead of outdoing one another in how cool I am or how many whatever things I have, right? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That's another one of those ouch ones. For a sincere brotherly love. Now you see it's for this purpose of brotherly love. And love one another earnestly from where? From a pure heart. So if you allow your heart to be tainted and you're not obeying the truth, what happens? No brotherly love. The church doesn't even care. I don't even want to go. Those things will start to get in there and you won't even want to be around other people. Right? If you're, not, if you're not careful and you're not going to the Holy Spirit to keep your heart pure, because he's the one that does it. That's the amazing part. It's not because you did so great and kept yourself. Right? It's the Lord keeping you. Um, Hebrews 13.1 says, Let brotherly love continue. What does Jesus say about the end times? The love of most will grow cold. And he, there's even a question that's kind of rhetorically asked. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, there's, there's this thing of a, of a great falling away, people abandoning the faith, it says. And that's what we're trying to really guard against here. Next thing, brotherly affection. Next slide, please. Okay, so we've made it through this process. Now we're starting to be, starting to strangely love these people we didn't know we could love. <laughs> Look at all these amazing people God's brought together who are so different from each other, right? Only God could do this, right? How, if you've been to a life group, how many of you have made friends with somebody you didn't know you liked? Like, I didn't know I needed to be friends with this person. How cool, God, I would not have chosen you as a friend, but... Bless the Lord, he brought you into my life, right? Like, <laughs> if, if you look at, at the 12 disciples and you see these people that Jesus brought together, you had a tax collector and a zealot, okay? This would be a, an accountant for the IRS and a freedom fighter who's making his own license plates and not paying taxes, okay? <laughs> but they're in a group together, Okay? That's, that's something only brotherly affection that's coming from the Holy Spirit changing your hearts together. Only God can do that. Yes. And that's the goal of all of this. It's not to sit in church and then just go home and get back to your life. It's like, let the Holy Spirit in there to stir this up in you. And so as that happens, as you're starting to love other people and you're like, okay, I guess I can sort of handle being around people. 
Has anybody heard the, the phrase, I just can't people today? You just, you're like, I've been around too many today. I just need to go home and take a nap. <laughs> um, but once you've started to be around people and you start to, you, if you let the Holy Spirit into that process, it's a whole different thing. Because what we tend to do on our own is look for reasons to be offended. To look for reasons why this isn't enough. Or they, they did, did you hear what they said? Right, and the enemy would love for nothing else than for you to just stay by yourself and not have this produced in your life. And now once he does this, okay, he, he works this into you. It says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Let all that you do be done in love. It doesn't leave very much out. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love so that's what you're, that's the whole thing underneath you is love. And that's where you're, it's, what did Jesus say about abiding? He said, abide in me, right? So that you can be what? Fruitful, right? As we're abiding in him, how hard does a plant have to work to be, to grow? Is there any work involved once it's plugged in, right? It's that same thing. It's, it's a thing of source. It's where you're plugged in in here that produces this whole process. It's not a thing of effort. It's not a thing of, all right, now go home and try harder. <laughs> That's the last thing, right? It's just go home and just be in his presence. Ask him to speak to you. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, there's this kind of this blessing that Paul has for them. And this is what I would say over you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. That's what I pray that the Lord would, would stir up in you. Next slide, we're almost there. Faith is the entrance into all God has. And I can prove it, there's at least two verses. Through him we have also obtained what? Access by faith. Faith is the entrance into what? into this grace in which we stand. So it's like, think of grace as this place you arrive at through the door of faith. Now you're standing in this place and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God because that's, that's, our, that's ultimately where we're gonna be. And I always thought it was interesting when it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. The glory of God because that's the measure and that's where he wants to bring us. And that's a, a future hope, right? That we know we're not there yet. So this balance of he's given us everything, we're, we're where we need to be, but there's also way more that he has for us. We can't even fathom. In whom we have boldness. And what again? Access with confidence. Through what? Through our faith. So as you can see, everything I've talked about, faith is right in the middle of it, and it's how you access it. And it's this place that's bringing you to grace, it's bringing you to hope, it's bringing you, if you don't feel boldness or that you have access with confidence, that's what I would pray that the Lord would bring to you, that, oh, I have access into your grace? How do I get into that? You don't have to, I don't have to pay anything? Like, it seems too good, right? You might talk yourself out of it if you just look at yourself and think, well, I can't get in there. Um, 
last thing, and then I'll start wrapping it up. Next slide. Faith is walking in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now here's the three things that I want to challenge you with today as, as we go out. I guess worship team can start coming up for this. This is weird, inviting the worship team up. Does this, do I just step back here and... <laughs> um, walking in love by the power of the Holy Spirit with a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a sincere faith. Everything in your Christian life, I, I'm willing to bet if you're struggling, I could put it in one of these three things. That it's a heart issue, a conscience issue, or a sincerity issue. All of our struggles fall into those three things. Even every hurt, every bitterness, what is that connected to? It's connected to your heart. If you've sinned and you don't feel forgiven, what does that have to do with? Our conscience. And what's, what did we read earlier that cleanses our conscience? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So everything on there, sincere faith. If you're feeling like, this just doesn't seem real, I'm not really feeling it, I'm just in the motions, it's only the Holy Spirit that can bring you to that place where you have a sincere faith. And so faith is receiving, enduring, fighting. Faith never stops moving forward. Unbelief is the one thing that will stop you. That's what kept the Israelites from entering the promised land. Two, Joshua and Caleb, he let the whole generation die out because they wouldn't believe him and believe his promises. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.19 to wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. And he gives a warning by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith because they wouldn't keep their conscience clear. They didn't hold faith and a good conscience together. And Hebrews 3.19 says, we see that they were able, <coughs> excuse me, unable to enter because of unbelief. And we see in that whole thing of unbelief, the writer of Hebrews ties it with disobedience, and they're the same word. If we're not willing to obey, it means we don't believe. And that's the really hard truth about that. And in Ephesians 5, 6, it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Everything out there in the world trying to distract you, it's just empty words. Trying to get you off track, out of your walk, off the path. It says, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. It doesn't just say you were in darkness, it says you were darkness. That was your nature. But listen to this, now you are light in the Lord. Not just in the light, he's making you a light. Jesus is the one who said you're the light of the world, because he is. Right? And we have the privilege of being that because of him being in us. Right? When Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay, that's what he's talking about. It's this thing more than ourselves. But he doesn't stop there. He says, walk as children of light. Now that you are the light, go forth. Right? And what, whatever's stopping you, 
take care of it so you can go farther. Pick up those around you that are, you just see them laying there and you're like, man, maybe I should stop and help them. Right? Knowing the needs of those around you so you can keep them enduring. We can't do this alone. It says, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the part that I can't tell you what that is. (laughs) He knows the things that you're doing and if you're doing things that please him. And find, it says to find out what pleases the Lord. Search it out. Ask him, Lord, am I doing really what you've asked me to do? I've met people who made it 10 years into a career. They're like, this is not really what I wanted to be doing. This isn't even what God asked me to do. And they like left their career and started a new thing. Don't let yourself get 10 years into something having not listened to what God said in the first place. I have made the mistake of this whole process where self-control was not where it should be. Right? I was in my early 20s. I'd started serving, got distracted by an ungodly woman, and God benched me for a long time. Right? So that was like 2003 or 4. I didn't start out at New Life till 2010, 11. Six years of just nothing. I wasn't even going to church, if you can believe that. And so the enemy really tried to just take me over here and keep me from doing anything. Right? And by the grace of God and the love of people in this room, here I am. And that's, that's the thing, is that the people sitting next to you and around you, don't let the enemy lie to you that they don't care about you. If people took even 30 seconds to get to know what you're going through, I know by the Holy Spirit they, they would care. Right? So let the Lord encourage you that if you need your heart purified, don't leave today without doing that. Come up here. Just say, Lord, my heart, sometimes it's just being in the world. You can just feel kind of contaminated. You haven't been going to the Lord in prayer. You just want a a renewal, right? Your conscience, maybe you've just got things on your mind that are just bothering you. From, could be yesterday, could be 20 years ago. It's only the Holy Spirit that can clear that up and re-strengthen your hands. So come forward for that. If you're not feeling sincere, don't do what Judas did and just keep going and pretending. He had the same opportunity as all of the other disciples. He was around Jesus the whole time. But he let pride get in there and he thought he knew better what what should be done. And we see that in the stories where he was taking money. He thought that the pouring out on Jesus' feet was a waste. He he wasn't in line, he wasn't walking with Jesus. And that's what this whole thing is, is walking with him. It's so different than looking to this example and being like, I wish I could just be like him over there. He's in us. And Jesus told his disciples, it's better for you that I go away. They didn't understand anything he was saying. They're like, what do you mean? You've been with us this whole time. He's like, no, I'll be with you and in you. And look at, Peter, who was all over the place, not stable, didn't have any self-control. As soon as the Holy Spirit filled him, who, what, he was the one who stepped out and gave the salvation message. And 
he's the one that wrote this whole thing about not falling if we'll do these things. And so if you can relate to any of that, I just beg you not to leave without dealing with the Lord and what he would speak to you. So if you'll stand as we, as we worship and, uh, and look to him. We've got lots of people here who love you and will pray for you. Father, we just come before you and look to you. Lord, clean our hearts, clean our conscience. Stir up the gifts within us that have been held back. Lord, I pray that new life as a church would grow in faith, Lord, and step out in obedience to you. Lord, thank you for people who love you, Lord, and that we would be a light to this community, Lord, that you would just bring a renewal of the Holy Spirit that only you can do. God, we're tired of living on our own strength. It's exhausting to try to do this on our own. Lord, help us to lean on you, to trust in the Lord. It says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and those who run into it are safe. So run into his name today. Look to him. Fifteen.